In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. And welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And this week, we're joined by a good friend of mine. Welcome, Matthew Herman. <laughs> Thank you, George. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. <laughs> good to see you. I'm finally... Um, I'm finally uh, you're, in, you're, in, uh, you're in unfamiliar territory here at the Perusia Studios, aren't you? Yes, You're I out am. of your element. Yes, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm here in the flesh. Yes. I'm here in the flesh. You know, I, I think I got, we got tired of the Zoom sort of conversations. We got to get out of the, this the Zoom studio. This is easier. Studio. You know, it is a lot easier to film face-to-face because -face we can bounce off each other. We can yep. get those visual cues and we're not dealing with that delay. Yeah, exactly there. So yeah. you're here in the flesh, yes. you know, yes. just like our Lord is in the liturgy. Amen. Yes. Nice segue. Yes. So we're here to talk about liturgy this mm. week. Um, and let's go straight into it. I know we, we really clicked with liturgy because uh, it goes mm. back to when Akira and I were, were um, uh, leading the prayer mm. for, your, for your group, for Perusia study groups. And, mm -hmm. and we really got into the liturgy with it. And we, we had a great yes. conversation with everybody and everybody was asking questions. And um, that's, that's really where we sort of click the whole liturgy stuff. We, we really discovered a mutual love of liturgy, not just of, of uh, actively involved mm -hmm. in liturgy, but in studying liturgy. In studying the liturgy. And uh, so give us the take, what is the liturgy? What is the mass what, in, in, in mm -hmm. Matthew Herman Tague's terms? Well, I should preface that by saying that, uh, that when I say anything about the liturgy, I'm really um, regurgitating what I have heard from my favorite podcast, The Liturgy Guys, the liturgy from the guys. Liturgical Institute. Go. So uh, everything I currently know about liturgy, I've been taught by The Liturgy Guys. And so the way they've taught it is that it's from two uh, Greek words, um, litos and ergon. Mm -hmm. uh, ergon is work, mm -hmm. from where we get the word ergonomics. Uh, and uh, uh, Lytos or Laos is people. Yep. So it's people work. Yep. So of course, in the modern church, we'll often hear people say that liturgy is the work of the people, mm -hmm. right? And often this gets misinterpreted as at liturgy, everyone needs a job to do. Yes. But yes. in actual fact, in the, the Greek speaking world and in the, in the Roman world, um, a liturgist was someone who did work on behalf of the people. Mm -hmm, exactly. Right? So um, our listeners out there, right, technically, there will be plenty of liturgists. 
anyone who works for a council or for parliament um, or teachers are all doing work. It's work done by people, mm -hmm. but it's on behalf of the people and for the people, so for the polis. Yes. That is the deeper meaning of the word liturgy. Yep. Work done by people on behalf of the people. But of course, in the Catholic liturgy, right, it's the work done by the people on behalf of the people through and with Christ the head. Exactly. And so mm. the, the priest carries out the sacrifice on behalf of the people. Absolutely. I mean, it will become accustomed, I think, after the council mm. to this idea of the, the, what we call the participatio activa. Mm -hmm. which is an mm -hmm. active participation in yes. the liturgy. We all have to be doing something. Yes. And someone has to be reading, someone has to usher, someone has mm. to take up all these jobs. Yes. And, and it doesn't really hit the heart of what particip proper participation in the liturgy is. But rather, Indeed. it's an active participation, is a spiritual active participation. It's not... Exactly. It's an yeah. interior participation. Yeah. It's an interior disposition. It's yeah. how we're interacting with the, this objective reality of the liturgy internally. That's mm -hmm. right. And yeah. it goes all the way back to Pope Pius X. Exactly. Mm. That's amazing. So, yeah. so the Mass, as we all know, is the representation of the sacrifice on Calvary. It's mm -hmm. the, we engage in the heavenly, in the cosmic heavenly worship mm. of the church in heaven. We enter into that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and do you think people today, most people go to Mass on Sunday, do you think they have that kind of an understanding? I don't think they do. Yeah. And, and it's part of um, the un, what, what, what has not been fully realised since Vatican II, what Vatican II actually called for. Yep. Um, and it's funny that uh, Vatican II actually got me started in studying liturgy. Mm -hmm. Because uh, the, the whole journey began when I was trying to read the Summa Theologia. Yes. Um, <laughs> which, as everyone knows, is, uh, is quite difficult, especially yes. when you're a new Catholic. It, it, so, uh, I, this, was, this was early on in my Catholicism. And you've been, you've been, you came back to the faith seven years ago. Almost seven years. Almost seven years so ago. That's absolutely amazing. 21st of September 2015. That's amazing. Welcome yeah. home. And uh, yes. not only that, uh, you are the events and social media coordinator for Perusia. That's there right. That's that's why we're here in the in yeah. The and you're doing such a great work, and yeah, you know, you're you're becoming more and more known as a speaker, mm -hmm. and and uh, and you're leading a lot of Bible studies groups, and yeah. I think you have a bright future ahead of you. Thank you. Thank in terms you. of yeah, inspiring so everybody in the faith and I've, renewing the church thank you. here thank in you. Australia and engaging everybody else. Thank you very much. We Australians I, I have, have had a, a break from, uh, from doing uh, online virtual studies yeah. uh, the past six months. I've been renovating all sorts of technical disasters and all sorts of things, but we're back. Term three, I will be doing a study and we're actually going we, to take 12 months to do the Augustine Institute's Symbolon program. Yep. And we're going to do it on a Monday night and it's going to be peppered in there with some guest interviews and with Defend the Faith Live with Robert Haddad as well, which is a monthly podcast where Robert and I go through one chapter of his book, Defend the Faith, each and every month. So it's one apologetic subject. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, I really think sticking to one topic, like mm. one subject, it really, really helps. And then yeah. dissecting and breaking it up. I mean, that's what brought me back to the faith. Yeah, very cool. I mean, uh, apologetics. I mean, people yeah. want to people want to know how to answer the objections. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's something about us. We, we like to, any, when something's attacked, we want to, <laughs> we cherish it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, for me, I wanted to know truth. My, yeah. my whole life was a search for truth. And, and because it was a, a constant search, it, it led me home. And I think, too, that it also led me to the liturgy. 
Because, exactly. Because as I was saying, that you know, I was trying to read the Summa, mm -hmm. I was struggling, and so I asked a, a deacon at mm -hmm. my local parish um, for some help. Yeah. And he said, oh, okay, well, look, if you're willing to, you know, read the Summa, what I think you should do for starters is go and read the, the four constitutional documents of Vatican II and find out what the modern church is like. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, I'll do that, Deacon. So I went and did that. And after reading the documents of Vatican II, if I could describe the church in a single word, the modern church, it would be disobedient. Because really? what I found in the Vatican II documents was stuff like Latin should be retained in the sacred liturgy. Gregorian chant has pride of place. Yes. Etc. Etc. And I looked at the, the sort of the local mass, and I thought, well, that's not what I'm seeing here, <laughs> right? And so then that led me to read the general instruction of the Roman Missal. And what did you find the general instruction? Well, to begin with, I found it, you know, I, I, difficult. Yeah. Difficult to read. Difficult to understand. Um, now, back then, I used to uh, listen to um, Bishop uh, or Robert Barron, uh, yeah. Bishop Robert Barron. Now, then, I think he was still Father Barron back mm -hmm. then. Uh, his word on fire. And he was involved in the Liturgical Institute at uh, the University of Our Lady of the Lake in mm -hmm. Mundelein, Illinois. And the Liturgical Institute had started producing a podcast called The Liturgy Guys. Ah, okay, and yes. So, and so he mentioned it on yes. this podcast, and I thought, well, okay, I need to go and check that out. Mm. And very quickly fell completely and utterly in love with The Liturgy Guys, mm -hmm. fell ever more deeply in love with The Liturgy, and listening to that podcast has literally taken my full conscious active participation to new levels. That's absolutely Whole new levels. So I recommend listening to the Liturgy Guys podcast, everyone. Check out Do the Liturgy Guys. Do yourself a favor. Check out yes. the Liturgy Guys. Yes. Amazing podcast. I've, I've had the pleasure of listening to it myself, you know, on several mm. occasions. And they do great work. I mean, it, put, it puts it in layman's terms. And, and, but it, it corresponds a lot. What you're saying there, to my experience when I had my reversion back to the faith. Mm -hmm. I didn't know much about liturgy, but what, mm -hmm. I, what I did notice is that the theology I was studying, mm -hmm. forget the modern, you know, modern or traditional church, the, the theology that I was studying, mm -hmm. you know, picking up as a year 10 kid, fundamentals of Catholic dogma. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. <laughs> and That's what, John Harden? Uh, Dr. Ludwig Ott. Oh, Ott. Okay. Ott. Yeah, yeah, very good book. All this stuff that I need to, to read and if learn. If you read that mm. book, you will understand yep. Catholic theology wow. pretty well. Wow. Okay. It's a very succinct book. Um, mm. So, I mean, so, and then you go to Mass and sometimes you see it not played out yes. the best possible. Yes. That it should be. Yes. Possibly. Um, yeah. So, liturgy. Mm. Liturgy, so, yeah. liturgy. So yeah. then, then when I started listening to liturgy guys and started finding out, you know, what the general instruction of the Roman Missal actually said. That, that's when things really started changing for me. And I started getting right into liturgy. And as you say, I, I fell into the role of Perusia study group leader. Um, and so I've presented Bible studies like Unlocking the Mystery of the Bible, um, uh, Biblical Walk with Mary by Ted Shree, that sort of thing. Um, one of the groups that I was uh, I was with asked me to do uh, Ted Shree's A Biblical Walk Through the Mass. Mm -hmm. And by that stage, I think I'd listened to every episode of the Liturgy Guys about half a dozen times each. Mm -hmm. um, so so I am personally responsible for, for many of their downloads 
Uh, in yeah. fact, on my bucket list, <laughs> I hope to one day be awarded number one fan in the Southern Hemisphere of the liturgy, guys. That's on my bucket list. <laughs> I'd like to be number one fan, yeah. but uh, there's, a, there's a woman named Vicki Delaney yeah. in, in the US that owns that title mm -hmm. because she's able to send pie crust to Dennis McNamara. So, you know, <laughs> look, I know that I can only ever come in second place, but I'm uh, hoping number one fan in the Southern Hemisphere. Someday. That's okay. <laughs> I consider you the number one fan. That's, that's all that matters. <laughs> Oh geez. Yeah. Um, so, and you've served at you've served mass as well, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I yeah. I spent a yeah. decade from after my reversion in two thousand and nine, mm. uh, two thousand eleven to about a couple years, maybe two years back, just mm -hmm. before the pandemic, I stopped serving. But yeah. I produced a booklet here that's pretty small. It's called the Service Toolbox. So mm. it's a spiritual and ritual guide to serving the liturgy. And very uh, important, yeah. a very important publication. Because uh, I know if you've read it. Or... Uh, I have. I, I oh, you have. I used I used to be an audio visual technician. That's how I first started volunteering with Perusia because I was an AV technician on mm -hmm. live corporate events, mm -hmm. and so that's how you know I, I've been sort of helping them out uh, that sort of thing over the years. But one thing that always uh, struck me with liturgy and why I think this sort of thing is so important is that when we come to a, a live corporate event, all right, to the client, that event is the most important day of the entire year. Yep. Right? And so, as AV technicians and as working for an AV company, when it comes to the actual event, yep. to the live show, yep. only the best of the best technicians work the sound desk. The best of the best technicians work the lighting desk. The best of the best do the visuals. The best of the best do direction. Mm -hmm. The best of the best do stage management. And yet, wow. how often was I going to the mass, which is infinitely more valuable than this one live event for this one client, and I see servers and acolytes stumbling around the sanctuary as if they don't know what they're doing. So that is why this sort of publication is incredibly important. And everyone who serves at, uh, at the liturgy really needs to dive into this sort of, sort of thing. And they need to read the general instruction of the Roman Missal so they can understand what it is they're actually supposed to be doing. Why is it so important? I mean, the, the, the common argument you hear is, look, why do we have to be so conservative? You know, why, why, why are you taking all this ritual uh, so seriously? Let's refer to our Holy Father, Pope Francis, um, in his recent um, letter I... Uh, that he came an apostolic letter. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, he spoke here, yeah, pretty good point, that our faith can't revolve around mm -hmm. just rubrics and mm -hmm. having good order in the liturgy. We have to mm -hmm. have a, a, an authentic faith, a spiritual life. Oh, amen. Uh, but, 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 but he did emphasize rubrics. Mm -hmm. We need to do the mass order and follow, take care to follow the rubrics. Amen. Why are the rituals and rubrics, why a big deal? Because mm -hmm. I, I did, when I did have a reversion, my observation was this. Mm -hmm. I looked at, why is the priest so stiff? You know, why do I have to mm -hmm. do everything mm -hmm. a structured way? Can't the mass just be made up, yep. you know, as we go along? Yeah. And uh, that was my first impression. Mm. Well, I would start by saying that we as a species, right, we, we're actually a subspecies of Homo sapiens. Yes. But we're, we're Homo sapiens sapiens. Yep. All right. I say, no. We are Homo sapiens ritualis. Yes. And if you want proof of this, when you wake up tomorrow, don't brush your teeth in the same way. 
Don't get dressed in the same way. Don't go through your normal morning routine. Mm -hmm. I dare you, try it. And what you'll find out very, very quickly is that we are creatures of habit. We are creatures of ritual. And then go and have a read of what happens in the desert with Moses. And work out that when the Israelites were taken out of slavery, out of the worship of false gods, and they were taken in the desert, what did they go in there for? What was the first reason that Moses gave to Pharaoh for why the people needed to go into the desert? To worship God. It wasn't to set the people free. It was just, we want to travel into the desert, we want to stay there three days and worship our God and we'll come back. And it was only Pharaoh's hardness of heart that resulted in the, the ten plagues and then the, the Israelites going uh, and leaving permanently. But then the incident with the, with the calf, mm -hmm. golden calf, and then they spend 40 years in the desert. And what's going on at Mount Sinai, but God is handing down the law, but he's also handing down the liturgy. He's showing the people how to worship him, not because he's an egomaniac, mm -hmm. but because he knows what we need to worship him in, in order for us to be transformed. And then they spend 40 years wandering the desert and practicing their wow. liturgy. And they put so much effort into creating the liturgical vestments and the I furniture. Mean, read Leviticus. And, uh, I mean, all the prescriptions and the, the exactly. specifications. Exactly. And, and all the symbolism involved in all of the, the choice of the, the metals and the wood and all that sort of stuff. And then look at the, the second temple, the construction of the, of, of the sorry, the first so the temple liturgy, and even the second so temple. So the liturgy in the Old Testament developed organically. It did. It did. So it organic did. growth. There was an organic. There wasn't a rupture with tradition. At there one certainly time, wasn't. Right? No, we didn't and, go back. And stuff like the Psalms, as we know, you know, the Psalms uh, may not have originated in the desert, although some of them could have. Uh, but by the time you get to to David, when they're they're preparing to build this temple, yep. right? David writes the Psalms, and then organically over time, the Psalms are brought in to the liturgy. And again, it's, it, it changes organically over time. And then, of course, what does our Lord do when he establishes the new covenant, but he establishes a new liturgy, right? which then, as it is taken through the apostolic succession, develops over time into, into the, uh, the sort of liturgy that we, that we saw. We um, have the famous saying, Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, Lex Vivendi. So how we pray Lex Orandi, uh, Lex mm -hmm. Orandi yep. is how we believe Lex Credendi. Mm-hmm. So we developed our liturgy based on what, as the theology developed over time. Mm -hmm. Didn't we develop in theology? Yes. We grew in our understanding of the Trinity, yeah, First Ecumenical Council, understanding yep. of Mary, understanding of, it, as we went through over time and grew in our theological understanding, the liturgy was mm -hmm. then grew and was structured up, up till Pius the Fifth, mm -hmm. um, who codified the Tridentine Mass. And, yes. Uh, and yep. In, in response to the Protestant rebellion, yeah, right? Yeah. And he felt that there was the need for a, for a unity in the liturgy. And so it was the, the mass of the courier that yeah. was then sort of chosen and codified. And that was the missile that was then sent out. And this was the, the now the universal missile of the Catholic Church, which of course went through its own organic developments over time as well. And, and changed and had revisions and so on and so forth. But, yes. And minor additions, like you see Pope John yes. Paul, John, sorry, John the Twenty Third, adding Saint Joseph to the mm -hmm. Roman Canon. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had such great organic development. Yes. And, and and that's how it should be. That you know, 
it, it, it's the whole idea of the census fidelium mm-hmm. that we are the faithful as we live mm. the the faith over time things come to us right yes as we're living organically popes saints people ordinary mm-hmm. faith we live the live the experience of our faith mm. and then we're moved okay well we've got to add these prayers to the mass or mm-hmm. add small additions minor things that we're moved at over yes. time as we grow in theology dogma gets defined yes and well, uh, take, we... take the uh the prayers at the the foot of the altar i've learned this recently Absolutely. Yeah. that that they were not originally part of that trinentine liturgy mm-hmm. um they were actually the priest prayers that they would say in the sacristy, sacristy. before mass but what was happening of course human nature original sin they weren't saying it mm-hmm. and so then it was brought into the liturgy it was brought into the books now it's liturgical law. Or they, they were at one stage, I heard, yeah. praying it as they were walking up to the altar. Yeah, yes. So they got lazy, didn't want to say it. So while he's walking, trying to be efficient, saving time. And so eventually it, it moved into the actual liturgy. But it found a right place. theological place, which makes That's sense. Right. He's That's accessing right. the altar, the same prayer that the high priest prayed in the Old exactly. Testament. I come unto the altar of God who giveth joy to my youth. Yes. And uh, the confession of sins to enter into the... Mm. And, pleading and petitioning God that we are unworthy to enter into this. Mm-hmm. It's it just the, the prayers are very strong, you know. And they're yeah, stunning. They're, they're stunning in their beauty and their humility. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been to eight Latin masses now. Mm-hmm. Only um, eight. Only eight. Wow. Only eight. Yeah, so most of my knowledge is all around the, the new mass. Yes. Um, but I'm starting to learn more and more uh, about the, the Tridentine mass, the old mass. Uh, the traditional Latin Mass, the Usus Antiqui, or whatever we're calling mm-hmm. it now. Yeah. Okay. The 1962 uh, Missal. Yes. As uh, per tradition. A, a certain traditional priest told me, just call it the best Mass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm learning more and more about it. And, yeah. uh, and so I was able, for the first seven Masses, mm-hmm. I didn't open a Missal. You I just, just I just went to absorb, yep. to let it wash over me. Now, by the, by the, uh, the end of that, um, seven mass period, I did find my mind starting to wander yes. from time to time, and I did sort of find that I was getting distracted and so on. And so I knew that at number eight, it's time to open a missal. And of course, I'm able to read the translation. I'm, I'm actually able to read the prayers at the foot of the altar for the mm-hmm. first time during the liturgy, as I know the priest and the server are up there saying those prayers, and they echoed how I felt coming to the mass. You know, please accept my sacrifice, I, uh, this unworthy servant who is coming to you now. Uh, just beautiful. So I, I'm really looking forward to It really to fosters the more. interior life during mm. the Mass. So mm. it's, it's not like this sense of dialogue. Mm. You know, we, we, the priest responds, or we have to respond, or we have to say it together. Mm. It gives... Uh, it, my observation when I first went to the Mass is, is that you, you, you observe, and the mm. priest is there... He's the one objectively, him and the servers, entering into the sanctuary. Our job is to get with what's going on in the sanctuary. It's not always just about us doing everything together. Yeah. The yeah. priest has his identity, and we're trying to align ourselves with what's going on. Because we're the body of Christ, right? Exactly. So we need to, the body needs to join itself to the yeah. head. And we're making the presence for the altar our own, yes. interiorly. Yes. But objectively, he's the one entering the sanctuary. Amen. He's the one offering the sacrifice. It yeah. gives that great sense of identity, and it's, it's, yeah. it's just, it helps you to pray. Mm-hmm. It helps you to pray. It fosters uh, uh, that spirit of prayer. Mm. And um, 
let's talk about rubrics and rituals. Mm -hmm. I know, I know mm -hmm. you want to talk about that. So, mm -hmm. uh, so you picked up the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Yes, yes. And um, through the, the guidance of the liturgy guys, I was now able to, to have the general instruction of the Roman Missal really unpacked for me. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the theology given, uh, a lot of the, the reasons for, for various things, uh, where the prayers come from, um, uh, you know, what, what our um, full conscious active participation should be all about. And of course, uh, by this stage, I'd accidentally fallen into serving the Mass. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that's a whole story in itself. Mm -hmm. um, again, it was pretty early on in my Catholicism, maybe I was only six months returned home, and, you know, I'd started reading the general instruction. I'd started learning about liturgy. And I seemed to remember from when I was in primary school in years five and six, I was an altar boy. And I remembered that there was some preparatory prayers that were often said in the sanctuary. And I was trying to work out what those prayers were. So I noticed the, the altar server setting up for mass and I went and asked him. I said, I used to, used to serve the Mass, and I know that there were these prayers, and I'm trying to track them down. Do you happen to know what they are? And he sort of looked at me for a moment. I think he knew the answer, mm -hmm. but um, he had an agenda as soon as I presented myself. And he said, I don't know. Why don't you come and ask Father? And mm -hmm. so he took me into the, the presbytery um, where I met Father Ronan Kilgannon properly for the first time. He's a, a, the diocesan hermit of the diocese wow. of Wollongong down in Kangaroo Valley. Wow. Um, and so this guy, Christian, who was um, taking me in to meet Father to talk about these prayers, he started asking questions. So, ah, you used to serve Mass when you were in five and six? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. I see. And, and you're back home in the church now, and you've been home for a little while. You're in full communion with the church? Like, yes. He said, oh, I see, I see. Turns out Christian was leaving for priesthood in the Dominicans. He was, <laughs> he was leaving for his novitiate two wow. weeks later. Wow. And so he, to his mind, he was saying, aha, the Lord has sent my replacement for Friday Mass at 11 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so he took me in to meet Father and ask about these prayers and stuff. And then Christian said, so he used to serve Father and he's home now. Why doesn't he serve with us so that he can, you know, and Father thought that was a great idea. And yeah. so th there I, I, I was like, oh, no, if you, you know, if you knew my old life, you knew where I've come from, I, I, I am the least worthy person uh, to be up there. And Father reminded me that he himself was unworthy to be there um, yeah. and, uh, and told me that anyone who wants to be in that sanctuary probably doesn't belong there yes. because it's a calling. And so what could I do? I accepted. Now, one of the interesting things about that Mass and every subsequent Mass I've ever been to, um, was back then at the Novus Ordo, um, the altar servers, acolytes, would receive from the chalice. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, there's this one problem, though. I have the disease of alcoholism. Yes. I'm 16 years sober by the grace of God. Yeah. Thanks be um, to God. But the smallest amount of alcohol that passes my lips can produce the sensation of craving, which yeah. can be overwhelming. Yeah. So I wasn't even thinking that I would have to receive from the chalice. And of course, then at communion, suddenly I'm being presented with the chalice. I was like, <gasps> okay, no, I know I've got to take the chalice. And so I thought, what I'll do is I'll just allow it to, the precious blood to wet my lips. Yeah. I'll probably get cravings. It's all right. I know how to deal with them. Yeah. And so I did that. And then I'm driving home and I'm getting near the shops because one of the things I used to use for alcohol cravings was chocolate. Yeah. So I'm thinking about my bar of chocolate 
And then I'm thinking, hang on a second, I don't have cravings. Hmm. So I decided to pass the shop, see what happens. Sure enough, no cravings. So then I served again and again and again. And each time I would allow the precious blood a little further in until eventually I was taking you know, a, a proper sip. Okay. I have never had alcohol cravings from the precious blood of Jesus. And as, an, as, as someone God. with the disease of alcoholism, all right, that is miraculous. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely. I mean, that's an amazing story. Yes. It's absolutely an amazing story. A beautiful little miracle, a beautiful little grace that the that the Lord has, has offered me. Um, in fact, um, both Father and I became worried, <laughs> eventually thinking, "Oh, should I be doing this? Am I eventually going to going to have a fall?" Um, but it was actually during. Um, adoration once when I was contemplating this uh, I felt like I felt I had an interlocution uh, mm -hmm. where the Lord came to me and said you do not need to fear my precious blood yes and I never have since well the grace yeah. of God now yes. now let's go into so yes yeah, so now so now I'm serving yes. mass I'm learning mass I'm listening to the liturgy guys I'm reading the general instruction and then a couple of years later I'm starting I'm doing this Bible study um, biblical walk through the mass and I actually said to the the group um, now, this is a five-week study, but what I want to offer you guys, if you're interested, is we can make it a 10-week study, and we can do one week biblical walk through the Mass, and the second week we can read through the general instruction of the Roman Missal, Yes. if you're interested, thinking maybe they won't be. They leapt at the opportunity. Yeah. And so sure enough, we, we were never going to get through the whole thing in the five weeks, but what we did is we slowly went through chapters two and three mm -hmm. of the general instruction. Yeah. So one week we did Bible, the next week we did general yeah, instruction. Sure. That, that's a good yeah. combination. Yeah, it was great. Not many people think of that, And actually. it's proven to be one of the most popular studies, one of the ones I'm, I'm asked to repeat uh, yeah. often. And uh, again, uh, the liturgy guys have been um, uh, instrumental in, um, in continuing to, to teach me and actually support that. Mm. And uh, it, was, it was then my love of the liturgy guys that, uh, that uh, made me approach the Liturgical Institute mm -hmm. for a partnership between Perusia and the Liturgical Institute. Yeah. And I ended up managing to, um, uh, to invite the liturgy guys onto Perusia podcast. And that's how I became a podcast host. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, like one week. You are the familiar face. On the, you are the face of Perusia Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. One of. One of. There's several. We're in your home territory. I'm, I'm one of, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so about a week before the first interview with the liturgy guys, mm -hmm. Chevelle says to me, oh, you're joining me as an interviewer. I, I mm -hmm. said, no, I'm not. He said, no, 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 we've got the liturgy guys on. This is all thanks to you, this partnership and this, this interview. So you're going to have to come and interview with me. I'm like, uh. So firstly, I'd be interviewing some of my heroes, so I'd be yeah. totally fanboying out. Yeah. And you're secondly, a fanboy I've never done an interview in a podcast before, so I was so nervous. So that was the start of a whole but journey. that was the start of a journey. No one should listen or watch my first interviews, by the way. They're <laughs> terrible. But, but over time, Chabelle and Mark and the, the whole team kept pushing me into the limelight and saying, no, you're actually good at this. You've got a talent for it. And here we I are. mean, and the main objective is that our Lord is using you as an instrument. I um, mean, we're all instruments here yes. in whatever way and style and, spot and, um, and way that you carry yourself to, to, to help other people. I, I mean, mean, it's not for ourselves. And we have a moral duty we to do. use the talents that God has given us to actually yeah. help so many souls. There are many people mm. 
who can probably relate to you better and learn mm. their faith better than mm. they would to me mm. or mm. they would to somebody else who's teaching apologetics. Yeah, it's horses for courses, isn't Exactly. It? So yeah. that's why we need diversity yeah. in, yes. in approaches and, and the way we present the faith and where, the way we engage people. Yes. We yes. have to do it. Yeah, We've got absolutely. a lot of work to do. There is a lot of work to do, and uh, there's there's more work coming from me, and there's more podcasts coming from me. We have a lifetime of renewal, not mm. just in every other aspect of the church life. And we yeah. pray especially this week for the Plenary Council. We do. We, we do, the we Plenary pray. Council. We pray, and we pray. We pray. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll say no more. <laughs> yes. So um, we'll continue on liturgy and, and mm, so, so let's mm. look at some aspects of the mass that we yeah. as a convert okay. that you noticed yes. uh, during instruction of Romans so let's let's say the orientation mm. of the altar or anything else yeah uh, well, like one of the, the one of the really interesting things about reading the liturgical documents and it's not just the general instruction of the Roman missal there's all these other documents that come along with it including every document that's been ever released about liturgy, particularly over the past hundred years, and particularly with regards to music in the liturgy. Mm -hmm. uh, again, another one of those big shocks. You know, Gregorian chant has pride of place sort of thing. Um, but one of the things I did notice is that um, this whole idea of facing the people was not something that was in the Vatican II documents, nor is it in the general instruction of the Roman Missal. It actually appears in a post-Vatican II document mm -hmm. where it's offered as an option. And isn't it strange how a lot of the things that came about after Vatican II that were optional have now become the norm. So, so they were options or exceptions? They were exceptions that, that the, in certain circumstances where pastoral needs um, were necessary, a priest may face the people, but never did it call for a universal versus populum liturgy. Well. Yeah. Well, wow. fascinating. I mean, it did it did resonate with me that it, when I came back to my faith and I just studied, mm. I never studied general structure of the Roman Missal. It was just mm. these observations, thinking, hmm, you offer a sacrifice to God, should it be sort of facing, facing the, God? Yeah, <laughs> like I watch how pagan yes. pagan priests mm -hmm. used to offer sacrifices. They didn't mm. used to face the people. They used to yes. just go up to their altar and then yep. face you know the deity that they were mm. offering to and. Mm. That's it's right. interesting because I had gone mm. to, grow, growing up in school, obviously I uh, went to a uh, school in the tradition of the Maronites, but then I used to attend the Byzantine liturgy mm -hmm. and wonder why they're facing the other way mm -hmm. and wonder why other liturgies face the other way. And yeah. it, it brings, yeah, to, to many questions to yes. think that, you know, is there more theology in facing? Yeah, um, and I've, I've talked with, um, with a lot of uh, Latin mass priests um, as well, and priests who do do the, the Novus Ordo ad orientum, the new or mass facing the, yeah, facing the, new, the, ma the new mass facing, um, you know, people might say with his back to us, but that's not actually what he's doing. Mm -hmm. What he's doing is he's facing liturgical east, he's facing God. Yeah, um, and leading and us. So many direction. of them say that it's it, it actually increases their own full conscious active participation because mm -hmm. they're not on show. So again, they're, these they're things that are all of what he's he he now constant is able to concentrate better on the enormity of what he's doing, offering. Or he's able to die to to self exactly, even. which yes. is what the liturgy is, because yes. it's the work of Christ, the work that's of the right. church, and the yeah. pr and that's why they wear vestments to cover themselves up yeah. to, to 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 die to themselves. Yes, and absolutely. and. 
and you can do that a lot better, you know, where it's, it doesn't matter if it's Father Bob or Father mm. Jack or <laughs> Father, <laughs> uh, or Bishop, whoever. Yep. It's, it's, it's Christ offering sacrifice. The human becomes irrelevant. Yes, that's right. That's, that's what you notice. Uh, yes. But let's talk about music for a little bit. Oh, you know? boy. The yeah. music. Now, this Sacred a, music. This was I know funny. you're learning to sing. Yeah, well, that's <coughs> the, that, there's, a, there's a new partnership with Perusio that uh, well, I'm actually up here in Sydney to do an interview, um, not only interview with you, but to interview <laughs> with Ronan Riley from the Australian Sacred Music Association. And we're going to do uh, an intro to Ronan Riley because there's a new partnership being developed between Perusia and the Australian Sacred Music Association. Excellent. Excellent. And yeah, I, uh, in, into my path has been put the Australian Sacred Music Association. So because of my studies in liturgy, because of everything I've learned about Gregorian chant having pride of place, I started looking into Gregorian chant. I also became a Benedictine oblate, oh, well. a third order Benedictine. And one of the things I found as I was preparing for my oblation is, uh, so Benedictine Oblates, um, we, we promise to join our prayer and our work to our Benedictine community. We promise to try and do Alexio Divina every day, and we promise to pray Lords and Vespers every day. So morning prayer and evening prayer. And as I was in my preparation for this oblation, uh, again, it was the, the priest in Kangaroo Valley, Father Ronan Kilgannon. Uh, shout out to Father Ronan. He probably won't watch this, uh, this podcast. Please pray for Father because he is very sick. Um, mm -hmm. So he, he does have uh, he, cancer um, and it was in remission for a while, but it is back. So please pray for Father Ronan Kilgannon down in Kangaroo Valley. Mm -hmm. um, but I was telling him that I found that as I was reciting the Psalms that I would fall into a sort of a rhythm, almost poetic. Mm -hmm. And he said, how interesting. And he marched me into the church, got me out of my seat, and he taught me just one simple tone by which I could do, I could chant the entire office. Just either rectotonal, which means in a single tone, or just a very simple tone that he taught me based on Gregorian. And that's what I started doing. And so eventually, uh, the Australian Sacred Music Association came along. And so Stephen Smith and Ronan Riley of the Australian Sacred Music Association have now been educating me in sacred music and they're actually going to teach me chant. So I officially have a Gregorian chant teacher and we start formally uh, in term three. Amazing. Lessons. Yeah. Amazing. And, yes. and, and that, that gives an easy, um, an easy demonstration of how anyone in their parish or anywhere mm. else can start to, to, to heed the call of the Second Vatican Council yes. and place Gregorian chant as the priority of place. Yes, yeah, and, and music's always a sticking point. Yeah. Um, because, you know, and, but what, a liturgical maxim is not what I like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's no liturgical law around what I like. All right, we, we are handed down the liturgy for our benefit. Exactly. You know, this is how the church um, has deemed that we, we should worship Over God. Over time. The same as in the desert. The sense God of fidelium. how we need to worship. Exactly. It's not manufactured. That's right. Based on a That's time, right. my taste. Yeah. That's and right. then it can't fit into people's spiritual lives. Yes. I mean, so, if something's molded over time, slowly, organically. Yeah. Yes. Well, the by thing the faithful and that, And again, from the liturgy guys, the, the, they've defined music. Mm -hmm. and, they've, they've, and based on the church documents, they, they give four definitions. Yeah. Um, liturgical music, sacred music, devotional music, and secular music. Liturgical music is, is, is the way they define it is it's the words of scripture or the missal sung. That's liturgical music. 
Sacred music is music which is of a liturgical uh, character. Mm -hmm. All right. Devotional music is any pious or holy song. And finally, you've got secular music. That's all of world music. Mm -hmm. Okay. But what is this sacred music category? What is sacred music that has a liturgical character? Well, what is the liturgy but Christ's action at Calvary? Yes. So Christ's passion, death, resurrection, and ascension represented at every Mass. It is Christ's prayer to the Father, all right? first and foremost to glorify the Father. And secondary to that is the sanctification of his people. So first and foremost, the entire liturgical action, the entire liturgical prayer is offered to the Father through the Son. So all liturgical music, I mean, just start reading some of the prayers in the Mass, all right? And I'm talking Novus Ordo, you know, read some of the, the prefaces and, and the antiphons and so on. All these prayers are directed to the Father, or most of them are, all right? Or they're all centered around the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what is sacred music? Sacred music being a, a, a holy or pious song that is liturgical in nature. Okay, suddenly it's, well, it needs to be a song that's directed to the Father yeah. through Christ. So when you start hearing songs that are human-centered, now, now you've brought devotional things into liturgical things where they, yes. where they don't belong. Exactly. Yep. And same with same with um, secular music. Even if it's secular music that's devotional in character, mm -hmm. it has no place in the liturgy because what first and foremost what should be sung is the liturgy. And in the Novus Ordo, the new Mass, first and foremost must be sung the dialogues. And there's another really good reason for this. And this is this is really interesting. And this is what this is what gets people when we start talking about music. Okay. I say to them, um, so I'm going to chant for you, and forgive my poor voice, I'm not trained yet. I'm going to chant We're for gonna you listen. A, 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 a glory be mm -hmm. in the simple tone that I was taught. <laughs> glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now, what time signature was it? Have a listen again. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So what time signature? It's a trick question. There isn't one. Because the melody grows out of the word. And who is the word, George? Jesus Christ himself. So Maybe. when you hear a beat, all right, when you hear that 32 bars bar blues beat mm -hmm. yeah. in some sort of secular style song in the mass, what you know is the word is about to become subservient to the beat. Yes. The Gregorian okay. chant is the complete opposite, where the melody has grown out of the word. The word has primacy. And the melody is subservient to the word. And the word is, of course, Christ.
That's, that's amazing. A big difference. That's amazing. It's it, it, you learn new things every just day. Just amazing to discover. You know what? What? What a gem! You know, just one of the gems you can learn from the liturgy guys and the short courses at the liturgical institute. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely have to check them out. And, yes. And uh, let's go into three practical tools. Mm -hmm. What can people do to appreciate spiritually the liturgy, and then yes. practically? If they want to get involved in uh, the rubrics and, mm. and, and, and the service. Well, for servers and for the rubrics, I'd suggest start listening to the Liturgy Guys mm -hmm. podcast. All right, do that. Uh, another practical thing is realize that the moment you leave your door to go to Mass, you're on pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. All right, you're on pilgrimage to Calvary. Mm -hmm. And there's great grace on offer if you treat it as a pilgrimage. So be mindful of what you've got on the radio. Be mindful of what, you've be, what you're talking about in the car. Be mindful of all of that sort of stuff. In fact, have the, the reading already done. Read the gospel for the day and be thinking about it on your way to mass. You're on pilgrimage now and mm -hmm. great grace is offered. <clears throat> and then there's one more thing. And this is the most important thing I've learned from the liturgy guys, and that is to realize that at Mass, because of the universal priesthood of all believers, we as the laity are also there to offer a sacrifice. Yep. Okay? And the sacrifice we are to offer is ourselves. And in fact, the bread and the wine, right, they symbolize us mm -hmm. because they symbolize the entire universe. Yeah. So the bread and the wine. I learned this from the liturgy guys. And so we offer to God a symbol of his entire creation because we owe him everything. Sure. So symbolically, we're giving him his entire creation, which includes us. Mm -hmm. In other words, we are on the pattern and in the chalice. And have a think about what God does with what we offer him. Yep. So we offer him bread and wine. Does he keep it for himself? Does he consume it? No. He returns it to us, infinitely elevated. So if you put yourself on that pattern and in that chalice, what is he going to do with that? But return you to yourself, elevated, if only you have the will to. That was amazingly put. <laughs> amazingly put. Yeah. And Listen yeah. to the liturgy, guys. I will. I will. I will. <laughs> and read this. <laughs> read get this. Your this copy is a great of, uh, place to start. The service toolbox. Absolutely. You can get a copy of my service toolbox here. It's a, it's a short booklet. What did you yeah. think of it? Yes. Did it help you in your it was, it was, serving journey? It was great. It's, it's, it's to the point, and it's, it also covers some of that spiritual preparation that we need to do yes. as altar servers. So I, I think it's wonderful. And, yeah. and every server needs a copy of this. I think uh, what I do simply, I mean, because this is catered towards people in the ordinary parish, yeah. people aren't going to pick up the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Yes. People are not going to uh, pick up Adrian Fortescue's... Uh, or uh, ceremonies or, of the Roman right by Elliot. By Elliot, you know, like us. Yes. People just want to know what is the Mass theologically? Mm. Yep. How can we grow spiritually in appreciation for the Mass? And then I yes. go through top 10 um, often forgotten details, which is putting mm. our hands together, yes. the gestures, genuflection. Yep. I know you serve very well. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, from, from what there's, I hear. There's a rumor. From you. There's a rumor <laughs> I hear. <laughs> well, I had ideas. You have yeah. heard it from me, but it was actually um, uh, some wonderful compliments uh, I received 
after Perusia's very own uh, Miguel Zaragoza's wedding, where mm -hmm. Miguel gave me the incredible honor of, um, of serving at his nuptial mass. It was the first nuptial mass I was ever uh, serving at, so I was very nervous. It's so, absolutely amazing. But I got some, some nice compliments afterwards. That's it. So what's mm. your final um, word for people with the liturgy and appreciating uh, the worship of God? That the, the liturgy really is the source and summit of our faith, and it therefore deserves our time. Yep. Um, so it not only deserves our time being there, but it deserves our time studying it. Absolutely. And, and learning about it. And of course, the other thing is, don't leave Mass early. <laughs> Who was the first person to leave Mass early? Judas. Absolutely. Right. And right, the dismissal, right, go therefore the Mass is ended. These are the second most holiest words of the entire liturgy. So stay there for them. Absolutely. Thank you for being with me, Matthew. No, thank you for having me back on. And yes. I, I look forward to many more conversations. Hopefully, hopefully starting a series. Yes. Yeah, I, here yeah, on the Catholic I think, Toolbox. I think that's discussing very, very possible. It yeah. is definitely very possible. Hopefully yes. you'll see uh, Matthew more on the show. Well, I'm, consider I'm, I'm definitely doing more study. Yep. I'm considering even studying uh, the degree at uh, Campion College. Absolutely. next year. We so highly so recommend Campion yes. College. Yeah, our Champions it. Early Offer scheme is on right now, so uh, well worth making the application. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Join the old man on campus. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being with me, and thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. Until next week, may God bless you. Take care and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.